All right, good morning, good morning, everyone. Welcome in, if you would. Go ahead and make your way towards your seat, and we'll begin uh, in our time of worship through teaching this morning. If you haven't been welcomed, if someone hadn't told you that, that, that you are loved, let me be the first. Welcome. I love you guys. My name is Stephen Mackey, and every once in a while, I get to come and share and encourage uh, here on, on stage, and so a joy to get to come and be with you. So if I don't know you, uh, I, I would like to, uh, in a really personal way, like there's this thing that happens when you uh, preach on stage, and I get to travel a lot of places and talk on stage, and what happens is you get seen and you get heard, but you're not always known. Um, and, I, and I'll be the first to admit um, that I'm not exactly like approachable, <laughs> right? Uh, but that once you, I mean, it just kind of happens, but uh, it's what my mama gave me, sorry. And also, I mean, let's be honest, I ate a lot to get here, okay? But once you get to know me, um, I'm kind of a big teddy bear. Um, and so I, I guess this is just me saying, I do want to know you. Um, and our family is, is making roots here. We were here a long time ago and we've come back. Um, and so if ever, for whatever reason, you feel like I'm not approachable, um, I'm sorry, uh, but I really do want to know you and I really do want to know your name. Uh, I can remember a lot of stuff. I try real hard to remember names and I'll try to remember yours. Uh, and I say that uh, as we dive into something that, to be honest, is super personal this morning. Uh, we've gone through this series called The New Normal. And we've been walking through this idea these last couple weeks, and John has done such a phenomenal job. Like, isn't it great to have John as our pastor? Like, I mean, I'll admit it's a little weird, like, having, like, my buddy that we, like, we make some jokes and we laugh and we poke at each other. He's also my pastor. But you know what? Like, I got no problem saying John is my pastor, um, and that's a privilege. Um, and he's done such a great job over these last couple weeks challenging us to consider a new normal. That what if it was normal that we heard from God? Like, what if it was just a normal thing that God spoke to us in a personal and real way? That we didn't feel like we had to be like some spiritual rock star for God to talk to us, but that we could just be like Johnny on a Tuesday morning and God would speak to me. That we could be on our way to school, riding in the caravan. We could be walking to third period. We could be going into a sales meeting. We could just be the normal, average, everyday guy and God would speak to me. What if that was our new normal? How would that change our relationship with God? How would that change our relationship with others? What an incredible, powerful idea. And this morning, I want to consider what a new normal might be for our marriages. What might a new normal be in your marriage and in mine? Because if we're honest, there's a lot that culture likes to tell us about marriage that's become normal that I'm just not okay with that I feel like goes against everything that God has created marriage to be. Because the truth is this, for your life and for mine, that God has created you on purpose and for a purpose. That you are created for God and by God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. You can get all the money, all the stuff, all the status in the world, and life will never make sense. And the same thing is true for our marriages. Your marriage was created for God and by God. And until you get that, marriage will never make sense. Your marriage wasn't created to fulfill your childhood dreams. Your marriage wasn't created so that you could be intimate with your spouse and not feel guilty about it. Your marriage wasn't created for you. It was created for God and by God. 
And until we get that, life will never make sense. But so often we see and we hear on media and on shows that marriage is about the beautiful, smart, strong woman and the clunk of a fella. He just bebops around. Isn't every sitcom full of the strong, beautiful woman, which I have no problem with the strong, beautiful women. No problem at all. I like my women like I like my coffee. Strong and appreciated for their contributions to the workplace. I'm all for it. <laughs> Boom, right? I'm all about it. But listen, I'm not, about, I'm not about having the husband be this goofus, this doofus that's not present, that is a slave to work, and that family comes as an afterthought. I'm not okay seeing marriages that are okay. If it, if it doesn't work out, you know what, let's just, let's just try again. We'll just hit the reset button. It's okay. We'll just try again tomorrow. There's somebody else. There's a bigger fish. There's another fish out in the pond. And I get that sometimes bad things happen. I get that sometimes people break their promises. They don't do what they promised God that they would do. And there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain that comes from it. But friends, that's not meant to be normal. That there's a better way. And I, what I want to challenge us today is to consider five new normals in our marriage. There are going to be five I statements because we're going to make it personal. Five statements that we want to be true of me, that we want to be true of our spouse, that we want to be true of our marriage. And if you're not married, for whatever reason, I've graded, I, I worked really hard. I'm, I'm what they call an emotional ogre. Um, that I am feeling repressed, uh, but I felt really strongly this week for those that for whatever reason, for hurt or for timing, that aren't married. And I tried really hard to make sure that these new normals would be just as applicable, just as applicable to your relationships, to your friendships, as they would be to your marriage. So if you're not married yet, don't tune out, don't check out and go, oh, this one's not for me. Come back next week. No, no, no. This one, this one's a people message and we're all people. And so today I want to look at five new normals for our marriage. And I'm going to ask, I say it all the time, a short pencil is better than a long memory. I'm going to ask that you write these down, that you take out your phone, your iPad. If you're digital looking for the trees, if you're old school analog on pen and paper, you write it down because at the end, there's going to be a test. I'm warning you right now. There's going to be a test at the end of this, and the person grading it is going to be your spouse. So you don't want to miss this one, <laughs> all right? Here we go. We're going to dive in, and as we do, I want to pray. Uh, I want to pray for marriages, and I want to pray for you, and pray for me as we dive in. Daddy, thank you so much for the great gift of marriage. This morning, I pray there would be an excitement about the relationships that you have given us. God, I pray that there would be a sense of hope a sense of growth, a sense of newness, a sense of I can't believe I get to be in this relationship. God, what a gift. And God, as the evil one has tried to harden hearts, as he's trying to tighten fist and grip hard on the selfishness, God, would you open our hands? Would you open our hearts? Open our minds? That we may walk out of this place and find a new normal. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, number one, write this down. I want it to be a new normal that I celebrate my spouse. I celebrate this spouse. I'm gonna say it again. I want you to write it down. Everybody in here, write this down. I celebrate my spouse. Isn't it true? We see all the time and we do. I'm as guilty as anybody in this room. You ever find yourself 
little bit loose with your words about your spouse, where you go, man, bro, I just got to talk to you because my wife, mm, she needs to be set right, right? Ladies, you ever find yourself going, my husband, I mean, it is not hard to put the toilet seat down. Like, how hard is that? I mean, how hard? We've got three baskets. We got colors. We got whites. We got, I mean, how hard is it to separate the laundry? I mean, this man can go and make $300,000 a year, but he can't separate the darks from the whites. I just don't get it. I've been trying to train this man, and he still hadn't got there. Fellas, we go, man, hey, man, I'm sorry, man. I, I can't be there. You know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And we said, man, I can't do, my wife won't let me. As if, as if your wife is your parent. As if your spouse is someone that you have to train up to do the right things and not the wrong things. So often we catch ourselves with our words in an attempt to be funny, in an attempt to make light of a situation, speaking negatively of our spouse. And I want to challenge us to be the kind of, to let it become a new normal that rather than putting our spouse down, rather when things get tight, when we have some of that intense fellowship, rather than letting our words be used to win an argument, to let our words celebrate our spouse because there's power in what you say. And when you choose to use words that put your spouse down, that position them not in a partnership, but in, a, in a, an authoritarian type relation. When you use your words, it changes how you see them, right? We like to say all the time, where you focus, you finish. And where you focus with your words, it's where your mind is going to finish. And where your mind goes, what happens in your mind, and you're here, what you hear, the words you hear, take root in your heart. What takes root in your heart comes to life in your hand. And when we speak negatively of our spouse, then what's going to happen is we're going to have negative actions. We're going to find ourselves in a situation where we have done what we thought we were supposed to do, and then they're not thankful enough. And we're going to go, well, is what I've done not enough? Is this not enough? Rather than going, you know what, rather than Chick-fil-A-ing our spouse and going, you know what, it's my pleasure, baby. It's my pleasure to serve you. It's my pleasure. Can I, can I get you a refill? Girl, it's my pleasure. You're dancing to get a And instead you go, have I not? I made you dinner. Was that not enough? <laughs> Fellas, we go, I put money in the bank account. Is that not? You can go to Whole Foods. Is that not enough? When we use negative words, it changes. We're laughing because it's true. When we use negative words, it changes our actions. Listen to what the Bible says about the power of the words that we use. In James chapter 3, the brother of Jesus says this. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, hear this, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. You don't have to raise your hand, but has anybody ever destroyed something with their spouse by their words? It only takes a spark, the Bible says. Remember to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Friends, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing that the evil one likes to use better 
to destroy marriages than our words. And so I want to challenge this. Let it be a new normal that we celebrate our spouse, that we look for the best in them, and then we call it out. Uh, one of the families that, that my wife, Teresa, and I look up to so much, uh, and this is one of the great gifts of being in Riverside, that we're in a multi-generational church, that we're not a monolith. And so you can see people at every age and stage. And one of the, the families that have been so good to us uh, over the last 10 years has been Phil and Vicki Marquez. And if you know Phil and Vicki Marquez, the way they speak about one another, they speak and they cherish each other. The words that, that Vicki says about Phil, like it makes me want to be a better dude. I'm like, man, I want to be like Phil because of the way that she talks about him the way that Phil cherishes Vicky, It's my pleasure to serve you. I'm like, bro, how do you have that much time to just be like sending her flowers? Like you're always thinking, how do you get any work done? But they celebrate one another with their words and it changes their actions. I want it to be our new normal that we celebrate one another with our words. So number one, make sure you write this down, that we celebrate one another. A couple more verses uh, to consider this. Uh, Colossians chapter four and verse six says, let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. Let that be a litmus for the words that you use for your spouse, for your relationships. Ephesians 4 and 29 says, never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. That one's tough. Because sometimes we get fired up and we just let it go. But instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. We've said it before, but remember this. Those with tact have less to retract. You choose your words carefully. You don't have to find yourself going, oof, I wish I got that one back. Let us celebrate and let it be a new normal that we celebrate our spouse. Number two, write this down. Number two, I value time with my spouse. I value time with, our, with my spouse. You ever find yourself in this situation uh, where when you were first married, hung out all the time, you went on a thing called a date night, y'all thought about movies and you went to new restaurants and you found things that she was interested in, right? I remember when I was pursuing Teresa, uh, <laughs> I went running with her, like on, like on the road, like you tied up your shoes and the shorts and you like went yogging, I think it's with the soft J. Like we went and you just, you didn't do it, you just ran for like no reason. You just <laughs> down the road. <laughs> and you know why I did it? Because I wanted, oh girl, <laughs> that's why I did it, right? And I just found stuff that she was interested in and I went and did it. We spent time together because I just wanted to be near her. But then we got married and we started thinking about job and house and then kids. And all of a sudden, I didn't have time to just go do stuff that she wanted to do. All of a sudden, the time that I spent pursuing her got replaced with changing diapers. And then all of a sudden, it got replaced with trying to climb up the ladder so I could provide a better life. It, all that time, well, it got stolen from me. And you see, we have to understand that we've got the same 24 hours in our day when we were dating as we do when we're 60. Like you got the same 24 as Beyonce. We just, don't use this, we just don't use our time the same. And I want us to make it a new normal. 
that we value our time with our spouse and that we're intentional to spend time with them each day, each week, each month, and each year. That we're going to think about this very intentionally to go, I'm going to find a way every day that my spouse will know that this time is just for them. Just like you would have a meeting and you put your phone on do not disturb because you're in an important sales meeting and you want to make that sale and you don't want them to think that you're distracted. That's their time. Your bride, your husband needs time every day. And it can be, it doesn't have to be an hour a day. It it might be because of the season that you're in that you're just really intentional to text them every hour. It, It might be that you're really intentional to have coffee with them every morning. It might be that you go, you know what, I'm going to get everything done by 8 o'clock, and then from 8 to 9 o'clock, I've got a standing meeting with my spouse. It's, there's no right or wrong way to do it except to not do it. That too often, it's the normal that we say, I don't have time for my spouse. And that can't be normal. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12. Help us to remember that our days are numbered and help us to interpret our lives correctly. Nobody's ever gotten to their deathbed and said, I sure wish I would have spent a little bit more time working. Nobody's ever got to their deathbed and said, you know, I really wish I would have given a little bit more time to someone other than my spouse. More often people get there and go, I can't believe I wasted that time. I had the time to give more to my spouse, more to my family, and I chose not to because I was afraid to let go. I was afraid of what I might miss out on. God, set your wisdom deeply in our hearts that we may accept your correction, that we may order our time correctly. And so I want to encourage us in your own family, in your own age and stage, where you're at, Ask the question, have the conversation. What does it look like for us to spend time together each day, each week, each month, and each year? And to find an intentional way, and it'll be different for you than it is for me, but it will matter because it's intentional and it will matter because you actually do it. It will communicate that you value your, your spouse and you value your time with it. Don't let it be normal that you say, I don't have time for this. Pastor John talked about this, talked about giving our first yes uh, to God. He said, we need to order our yes, uh, our lives around our yes, not our yes around our lives when it comes to saying yes to God. The same thing is true. When it comes to saying yes to our spouse and spending time with them, we need to order life around that, not the other way around. Otherwise, we'll, we'll miss out on it. We automate what's important. We make it a, a, a fixture in our lives. Let's make this a fixture in your relationships. So that's number, number two. Number one, right, I celebrate my spouse. Number two, I value time with my spouse. Number three, I know my spouse. I know my spouse. Have you ever found yourself thinking, you know what? They're just not the same as they used to be, right? Like they're just, they're just not the same. 
right? Like I remember when, when Teresa and I got married and we were there in Blanco, Texas, Pastor Scott was there and like all my friends and family and, and all of that was there. And I saw her come down and she was walking down the aisle and like I was laughing and crying and clapping all at the same time. Like I was just a whole mess of emotion uh, and all of the excitement. In the back of my mind, I was really kind of thinking, if I'm honest with you, I was really kind of thinking, yo, this girl is lucky. <laughs> like... Like, bro, like, I must, like, have you, have you seen this? Like, I'm smart. Like, I love Jesus. Like, I can get on stage and I can speak. Like, like I'm her Prince Charming. Like, I am the, I'm the dude, right? And I thought I was somebody, right? And as I look back on that fool nine years ago, I'm like, bro, that joker, he's not qualified to, like, take out her trash, and I look on today and I go, if I'm honest, sometimes I find myself going, man, oh, girl's pretty lucky 10 years later. I mean, I used to be a joker, but now I'm somebody, right? And you know what's going to happen in 10 years? I'm going to look back and go, man, that dude 10 years ago, he was a chump. You know why? <laughs> hey, man, I need you to save your conviction for something. I want to talk about Jesus, not about me, all right? Thank you. I'll let you know. The reason that I'm going to look back is because I'm going to be a better husband 10 years from now than I was today. I can guarantee you that. Because I can't, I can't help but not get better, right? Because I'm going to be intentional about it. Because I'm going to chase after Jesus. Because my bride deserves it. And 10 years from now, I'm going to be exponentially a greater husband than I am today. And 20 years from now, I'm going to be even better. Why? Because my bride deserves it. And she deserves for me to get better and better and better. If I went to work and I wasn't getting better, I wasn't making more sales, I wasn't improving, you know what happened? I would get fired. I ain't trying to get fired. As we hold that, like we get that, that we're gonna grow and we're gonna grow and we're gonna grow. Check this out. We should expect our spouse to be different today than they were 10 years ago. Like we expect, we should expect them to grow. We should expect them to wrestle with things in a different way, to, to grow in their emotions, to grow in their actions, to grow in their thoughts, in their relationship with God. It's okay they're not the same that they were 10 years ago because we want to be advocates for the growth of our spouse and we want to be students of our spouse. But we want to advocate for their growth and then we want to be students of them. And we go, baby, I want to study you. I want to know you in every way. And as you begin to wrestle with something new, I don't want you to feel like you can't take a new thought. I don't want you to feel like you can't wrestle with something new because you once thought this. Are you kidding me? We want them to grow. We want to be a student of them. Uh, Paul talks about this idea in Philippians 3. He says, I admit I haven't acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Like, I want my bride to passionately pursue the call that Jesus has placed on her life. Because she's not there yet, but I'm gonna keep encouraging her. And as she grows and becomes more the woman that God has created her to be, I wanna be a student of that. I wanna know her and I wanna know how to know her better. So you know what? That means we've got to have conversation. What that means, we're going to have to do some stuff. Like I'm going to have to study this thing called feelings because my wife is feeling dominant. 
I'm feeling repressed. I'm doing dominant. I want to go and do, do, do. And she wants to go and feel, feel, feel. I'm like, brah, like, come on, like feeling, like you can't get any, like feeling doesn't, like doesn't get us forward. Like we need to take some action. But you know what? She's feeling dominant. And so I want to become a student of her feelings. I want to know it. I want to be, I want to be an expert on my spouse. I don't want there to be anybody in the world that knows her better than me. I don't want to know my job better than I know my spouse. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to know that. I want to know her. And so uh, there are many, many resources out there that can help us do that, uh, whether it's different personality tests. Uh, we found that um, Strength Finders is a, is a really great tool. Um, it's, it's, this person, person, it's a personality typing thing, but it just helps you discover what your strengths are. And so then when you know your spouse's strengths, then you can help them live into them. Uh, so Strength Finders is a great tool. We found that the Enneagram has been a great tool uh, for us to just spiritually come to know one another better. Uh, but just a simple tool, I'll show you a graphic here um, that might help, is to think about the three centers of being, thinking, doing, and feeling. And as you look at this, here, here's an example of one who is uh, uh, thinking dominant and feeling repressed. You see high, low, medium. That we all know, like your spouse may be a strong thinker, but a low feeler. They may be a strong doer, but a low thinker. They just, they just start acting and they, you know, we're going to, we'll, we'll shoot the gun and find the target later kind of thing. And, and they may be that way. Uh, but when you begin to kind of understand and know, hey, my spouse is a thinker. Well, when they go into thinking mode, well, you don't have to be like, why are you doing that? Well, we need to, you go, oh no, this is how they bring the best of them to the situation that's in front of us. Or they bring their feelings, they go, oh wow, this is how they're bringing the best of them to this and they're gonna see things differently than I do because God has created them differently than God has created me. And that there's not a right way or a wrong way, it's just that when we bring our way together and we know each other, we build on each other's strengths, to tackle what it is uh, that God has, has brought in front of us. Okay. I would encourage you, as you seek to get to know your spouse, uh, pray this prayer for them. It's the prayer of Luke 2.52. As Jesus grew, so did his wisdom and maturity. And the favor of men increased upon his life, for he was loved greatly by God. Would you pray that for your spouse every day? That they would grow in wisdom and in maturity. Some of us, we, we need a little bit more maturity. Sometimes we need a little bit more wisdom. We need them both. That we would grow in favor with God and with man. That every day you would pray that. And as they grow, you give them permission to do that, to step into who God has called them to be. That we would pray that and then we would get to know them, that we would know our spouse. So number one, we celebrate our spouse. Number two, we value time with our spouse. Number three, I know my spouse. And number four, this one's big, I don't fulfill my spouse or my kids and they don't fulfill me. I don't fulfill my spouse. Fellas, you're a great Prince Charming, but you're a terrible Jesus. That's where you say amen. Amen. I can do a lot of things great, but I can't be a savior. And neither can you. And too often we're taught that our spouse has to fulfill us. That they have to be everything for us. 
that they have to have all the right answers, that they have to always be there. They have to jump when we call. They have to know us. They have to be able to read our minds. They have to be able to interpret our feelings. They need to know what to do without us asking to do it. They need to do all of these things. But quite honestly, is impossible. The best your spouse can do is point to Jesus and say, there, right there, this is the way to Jesus. Come on, baby, I'm praying. I've been listening to the Holy Spirit. Let's go. They're calling us this way, and we go together. The best that we can do is point. But when we try to get our spouse to fulfill us, we set them up to fail, and they fail royally. And we fight, and we argue, and we do this, and we don't get anywhere. The same thing is true for our kids. Kids come in, and we have this deep desire to go, I want to be the best parent that I can be. I want to give them, I want to lead my kids to Jesus. I want to be there for them. I want to give them the opportunity. I want to make sure that they're learning and growing and that they feel safe and accepted and loved and all these things. And our kids become our world. Our spouse becomes our world. And you know what that's called in the Bible? That's called idolatry. If you want to be the best parent you can be, be the best spouse you can be. And you want to be the best spouse you can be, then follow Jesus as best as you can. The greatest gift you can give to your kids is to show them how to be a great spouse and how to be a great follower of Jesus. It's the best gift that you can give them. And that means that there's gonna be times where you have to tell your kids, hey, sorry, this is, this, mommy gets the first kiss. Baby girl, I love you. Oh, you're my sweet, you're my sweet baby. But mommy gets the first kiss. You come home and say, hey, listen, I wanna play ball with you. I want, but you know what? I guess mommy first. Or brides, you go, baby, I love you. I'm gonna take, but I need, I need to go talk to daddy right now. Because he, he, comes, he comes first. And you wake up and you show him what it's like to pray. You show him what it's like to read your Bible. You show him what it's like to follow hard after Jesus. Jesus said this in Mark 12. You're familiar. He was asked the greatest commandment of all of scripture. He responded with the Shema. He responded, of all of the things, what's most important? This was number one that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength, with your every being, every thought that's within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And it's the greatest gift you can give to your, to your spouse. It's the greatest gift you can give to your kids. Mark, Matthew 6 and 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. You wanna have a great marriage. You wanna have a great kid. Seek first God. And then that. God first, spouse second, kids third. I don't want my spouse to fulfill me. I want God to fulfill me. And then I can pour out to my spouse and I can pour out to my kids. So that's number four. Number five, very quickly. This was a good one. Save the best for last. Number five, I struggle with my spouse. And you're like, yeah, bro, that's normal. <laughs> Got that one down, unlocked. I want us to struggle with our spouse, not against our spouse. Too often, we struggle. We have intense fellowship. Uh, we have some conversations uh, that are against one another, that we seek to win. Anybody love to win? I love to win. 
And it's hard sometimes to have a conversation with my wife to die to self because I know that I'm right and that she's wrong. And so it's just hard to be like, mm, I'm going to struggle with you. I'm like, mm, no, because I'm right. <laughs> and I know that I'm right and I can prove it. Uh, you know, if you would like, I have a, a PowerPoint slide demonstrating all the reasons. <laughs> but the point of our struggle isn't to win. The point of our struggle is to grow. Think about Proverbs in 27 and verse 17. It takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade, and so one person sharpens the character of another. Sometimes we're going to struggle, and that's not abnormal. It's inevitable. But when the struggle comes, we've got to remember that the struggle is meant to grow us together, not apart. That when there's disagreement, that it becomes an opportunity for us to come together closer, to learn to die to self, to learn about the importance of family. Forget about me. I love you. It becomes an opportunity to live out the mind and the life of Christ. It becomes an opportunity to pour yourself out. It becomes an opportunity to experience the, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And when the struggle comes, you can remember that you are on the same team. That you're not against each other, but that you are with each other. But too often, we think that the struggle is the enemy. That we, shrink, we think that if struggle comes, that somehow our marriage is broken. That somehow we're just not, we're not spiritual enough. I can't pray with my bride because we fought today. How can I go to before God with my spouse and pray when I said that selfish stuff this afternoon? Anybody ever been there? I'll be honest with you. The hardest thing that I do and my, it's not speaking in front of thousands. It's praying with my wife. Because she knows my stuff. She knows where I've fallen short. She knows where I haven't gotten it all right. And then I've got to figure out how to go and pray with her. Yeah, because we struggle together. Our, our struggles don't disqualify us from coming together or falling more in love with Jesus, but instead, those are the very things that are gonna make us stronger. They're gonna call us to rely on Jesus even more. Then they become the lessons that we teach our kids. And they realize that struggle's not, it's not the enemy. They begin to see it in us, and when they start to struggle in their life, they go, you know what? Mom and dad, like, they're okay with struggle. It's safe for me to struggle in this house. And all of a sudden, now that in, the enemy, the evil one, can't use those struggles to destroy your marriage. That's what he tries to do. That's why, that's why we argue on the way to church every week. Because <laughs> he wants to distract you, right? He wants to, he wants to keep you from, from, from getting to engage in worship. He wants to keep uh, you from hearing from the Lord. But when we go, no, 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 it's normal for me to struggle with my spouse. And we're, we're going to struggle on the way in, and then we're going to worship together, and then we're going to pray together, and we're going to live life together. That's what we do. Because the struggle can't hold us down. See, it's a new normal. And so when the struggle comes, can I encourage you with this? Don't struggle alone. Find other families that can pour into you. 
I told you before, it's the beauty of Riverside that we're multi-generational, that you can find couples that you look up to. Not just because they have the, the wisdom of the gray hairs. Amen. <laughs> I, got, I got some too. They're coming. They're coming. <laughs> but we look at them and go, man, you've been there. Right? Uh, Pat and Amy friend for Therese and I. Like we look at them and we go, man, we want to be like them. Right? And, and it could be said of so many couples in this room. And so if you're, on, if you're on the beginning of your marriage journey, would you be vulnerable enough to get to know a couple and go, hey, can we, can we have dinner? You don't have to ask them to like build a curriculum and disciple you and like have tests and like competencies and all this. Just look at a, look at a family and you're like, you know what, when I see you, like something sparks in my, in my heart. And I just go, man, the way, that you, the way that you sit next to your husband and the way you look at your wife, the way y'all serve together. We just go, we want to be like that. The way that you go and spend time with your grandkids, we want to be like that. Can we hang out with you? If you're a couple that maybe your kids are gone and you've been doing it for a while, would you look and see a younger couple? Riverside is growing younger and that's a good thing. Would you look at that young couple with a mama that's struggling to get the kids into the, into the thing and, and, and going through and just go, hey, you're doing great. I remember one time, uh, a few weeks, a few months ago, we, we came to, a, to, a, to worship. It was just one of those flustered mornings. Uh, Teresa was pregnant. And baby was almost due. We heard some, some crying in the nursery. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you hear a cry and, like, your ear is tuned. And you're like, not my kid, not my problem. Uh, but it was our kid. And it was our problem. And Teresa was about to go out there. And then Lori Chief just stopped her and said, don't worry, Mama. You go worship. I got him back there, held him. He stopped crying. She came back. He said, everything's fine. He's a-okay. What a gift. But you can't buy that. You can't manufacture that. It's the gift of Riverside. So you're a couple. Find a couple that you can look up to. Find a couple that you can pour into. And find a couple that you can walk life with. Like a, a 3 a.m. couple. The kind of couple you call at 3 a.m. when all hell is broken loose and you just need somebody to like watch your kids or your dog if you're a dog person so you can go to the emergency room or whatever. Find a 3A for me. And the best place to find that is in life group. It's, it's not comfortable. I went to life group last week. I don't know what the heck to do. Was, like, they were asking questions about how I was feeling and my struggle. It was, it, was, it was vulnerable. It's hard. But that's where you find your 3AM friends. We, the struggle can be normal. We can struggle with our spouse. We can struggle with others. We'll be made stronger, not driven apart. Friends, I want a new normal for marriages. As I told you, there's a test. So we wrote these five things down. When I celebrate my spouse. I value time with my spouse. I know my spouse. I don't fulfill my spouse and I struggle with my spouse. And I'm going to pray and as the music plays, I want you to just circle, or write down one, two, three, four, or five. Which of those you feel like in your spirit needs to be the new normal in your relationship? What's the one where that's become 
abnormal. I want you to write it down or circle it in your notes. And then when you get home or on your way, I want you to ask your spouse, say, hey, which one did you write down? And see what happens. Invite God into it. And if the evil one tries to bring some conflict in that because you say, well, I I wrote down value time because I don't feel like we've been valuing time. And then there's going to be that sense of like, are you kidding me? Have you not seen how I struggle with? And we're going to let it bring us together. It's a spoiler alert. The evil one's going to try to mess this up. But God is bigger. So I'm going to pray. As you do, would you open your hearts and open your minds? Daddy, thanks so much that you've given us the gift of marriage, the gift of relationship. God, would you help us to find a new normal that we would be the the biggest cheerleaders for our spouses, that we would celebrate them with our words and our actions, that we would spend time with them and be intentional. We'd put the screens down. We'd go eye to eye, face to face that we would become advocates for the growth that you want to bring about in the lives of our spouse, that we would know them and be students of them, that we would chase hard after you, to be fulfilled by you, not by them, but by you, so that we could pour out to them and invest in them. God, when conflict comes, would you give us the patience that we could struggle with them, that we would come together be driven apart. And I pray that you'd speak to us. Let us know where you're calling us to a new normal. That our relationship might glorify you more. We might be able to serve others better. That we'd be an exemplar to our children. God, I pray for brothers and sisters who aren't married today. Whether it's because of hurt and broken promises, whether it's just because time I pray that you would help them bring these new normals into their relationships. That you would help them to to be the kind of friend, the kind of person that these things are just normal with. And that in their relationships, people would come to them and say, man, I love to be me when I'm with you. There's just something different about you. What is it? They could point 